You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. You don't seem like a public menace to me. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, uh, we had to pause there for a few minutes, interrupt Judd's thought. So let's finish up the Reggie Lynch discussion here. And you know what? I mean, if you, we've had some great phone calls on this. So 651-646-8255-877-615-1500. So my point about Coyle was this. Going back, so this is, so since he got here, he got here and I think immediately... Uh, made a decision on the wrestling coach, but that was almost immediate. That was really easy, too. And that was oh, the Xanax, a... scan, the Xanax yeah. ring, and yeah, that's not hard to say. Uh, Jay, you're fired. Uh, the second thing was the football scandal, uh, followed by the decision to fire Clays, and I remember attending the press conference when he announced Clays is firing, and I can't remember what the buzz phrase was, but he had picked a phrase that he kept using again and again and, and again. And the concerning thing about that presser was there was nothing to hide. Like, that's one where it's an open book. Like, you can come out and you can say as much as you desire. Besides ripping clays, you can come out and you can say, here's what we're doing, here's where this is going. And he tried, and he still wasn't comfortable. Yeah. And and the problem with where we got to on Friday was, if you can't come out at, when, when you've decided to fire your football coach, if you can't come out and appear as open as possible at that presser, you have no chance in hell then when things go awry, and now you're dealing with a report where you genuinely can't talk about lots of things. So this is all becoming concerning because he is the face of this department. He is the guy. He is the voice. No, Nobody made a mistake technically uh, by sending Coyle up to talk on Friday. He's your choice to talk. The fact it was so ineffective and so poorly done is a concern because then the question becomes this. What did you learn from it? Yeah. I mean, going forward, did you learn to make an opening statement? Did did you are you going to at your age now be empowered enough to say I was really bad up there and I'm going I'm going to find a way now the next time something goes wrong, which with this school it will, to go up there and give confidence? Because if you didn't, we got a problem here. Well, here's the reality though. There's certain things you can learn and certain things that are just inherent. You can learn policy. If they if if they had screwed something up in the process, you could tweak the process and okay, you know what, we should have done this better in terms of the order of events, or you know what, maybe we should have sat him out of that game. You could those are things you can fix. Your decision making, you can't really fix your personality, and you can't really. Unfortunately, fix I would agree completely. When yes. the lights bright yep. and the pressure is mounting, yep. and and people are staring at you, you can't really fix how you react in those situations. And, um, you know, I wanted early on in Mark Coyle's tenure, and I don't doubt that he's a, he's a very bright individual. I think he made a good decision keeping Patino as a basketball coach. I think he made a good hire in P.J. Fleck that will play out over time. I really do. I, I think he's shown a lot of great things as an athletic director. But that one missing piece is a really important one. It's that lack of presence. And he just doesn't have it. Maybe he has it in a smaller boardroom setting where there's 10 people. 
But when the cameras are on and when all the stakeholders are looking at you and there's chips on the table, right? there's just something missing there. And and that there was probably a time in this job where that, that was fine. When you could sort of get up there and not be great, but you could raise a ton of funds and were well-liked. Boosters l- liked you. But I'm sorry. We are now in a day and age where the where the vibe that you send off and the perception of that vibe is incredibly important. And if you can't do it, that's a problem. Yep. And you want to talk some football here? Sure. Football. Come on. Football. I bring to you from FoxSports.com 2014, an article written by a guy who was investigated for Bounty Gate, wound up getting cleared by the NFL in Bounty Gate, Scott Fujita. Linebacker Scott Fujita was with the Saints. He played, I think he actually, because uh, he tells the story about being in the film room with Mike Zimmer. I want to say this goes back to the Cowboys days yep. in the early 2000s. Yep. going to read you an excerpt here, probably a couple minutes long. Scott Fujita from FoxSports.com almost four years ago raving about the Vikings hiring of Mike Zimmer. And as you as you listen to this anecdote, just think about your confidence level in the Vikings winning a Super Bowl, where it starts at the beginning of the article and then where it's at at the end of this piece. All right. Mike Zimmer knows football. He's adaptable and resilient. He's unapologetically confident in his decision making. And most importantly, he commands the respect of the men he leads. Let me explain. Every coach should know football. That's part of the job description. But certain coaches have a knack for the feel of the game and have a mastery of game situations. I would consider Mike Zimmer one of those coaches. When he was my defensive coordinator and position coach with the Dallas Cowboys in 2005, I remember watching game film with him one afternoon in his office. I can't remember who the upcoming opponent was, but I remember sitting there quietly listening to him talk through calls as each play ran on the projector screen. I felt like I had a front row seat to his game day thought process, and as he was essentially thinking out loud, It wasn't the defensive calls he was making that I found overly impressive. Anyone who knows football can run through a call sheet and match it up with the corresponding game situation. What I found uncanny was his ability to correctly and specifically predict what each offensive play would be, one after another. So just to pause it, Fujita's sitting there watching Zimmer dissect film, and out loud he's calling out the offensive plays Mm -hmm. of the opposing team on film before they snap the ball. So about 25 or 30 plays of Mike Zimmer making offensive predictions with roughly 90% accuracy, I called BS and told him, you're either watching this tape a dozen times and not telling me, or you're simply reading offensive plays off a monitor. So Zimmer offered to switch seats with me. I sat in his chair in front of the monitor and pulled up the archives to search for film of that week's opponent that wasn't part of the regular six to eight week game breakdown that most teams evaluate each week during the season. I randomly selected a game from early the previous season that Zimmer had not clearly had not watched yet. I hit play and watched him work his magic. After watching a series or two to get a feel for the game, he started reciting the ensuing offensive plays again, one after another. Finally, I told him he was just showing off, and Zimmer said, nope, I've just got these bleepers down. And he did. That to me, and this also... Uh... <laughs> This also quotes uh, Scott as saying, he knows football, he's adaptable and resilient, he's unapologetically confident in his decision-making, and most importantly, he commands the respect of men he leads. This, to me, is really, really intriguing because he's a football savant, which is very, very clear, but he also, I think, 
has combined that now, and and this is where the ability to be adaptable is so important. He's combined that with the ability to to learn from his experiences as a, a head coach. So the fact that Zimmer's put all of these things together is what impresses me. And this is what we talked about last year when I told you that I still thought he was a good coach, but it was interesting how things had gone sideways. And I think, you know, as a coordinator, if things start to go wrong, I think it's much easier to take one side of the ball and one set of players and rein them back in. With an entire team, it becomes difficult. That's the thing that I like about him is there does seem to be a flexibility and ability to learn there. So he can combine that football savant that he's got going for him with the ability to also adjust and adapt to people that he coaches. Yep. He, there's something galvanizing about him. And uh, there's there's something very unapologetic, but not fake. There's a lot of unapologetic sort of hollow people that are like Johnny Manziel is unapologetic, mm-hmm. but he's not a good person and he's not someone that people rally around. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's just something about Zimmer's demeanor that makes you think even into the the teeth of this playoff run where you've got Hall of Fame quarterbacks on the horizon and maybe the greatest coach in NFL history in Bill Belichick. Yep. And you don't feel like he's going to be overmatched or shrink in the moment. You just don't. With Breeze and Brady and Roethlisberger and Mike Tomlin and Bill Belichick and Sean Payton, you put Mike Zimmer up against all of those entities and you think, oh, yeah. This yeah, even without all the experience in right. terms of playoffs and you know Super Bowl rings, absolutely he belongs in those boxing matches, in those chess matches, uh, matches. Yeah, and I and I think I, I actually believe now that, that a year ago all the things that that went wrong helped him out because I think he looked at at that. That's the one. My question about football coaches is, is not are they genuine? I think a, a lot aren't. I think a lot probably are. More importantly, I think the question becomes how flexible can you be? Because I think football, football in itself, I believe the perception of success in football is not to be flexible. It's to be these are my rules and these are the rules of football and we do these things because they work, right? And I've been taught that they work and I've seen I've seen them work for instance for Bill Parcells. I think the most important thing, especially with players today who challenge you and certainly are not the players of 30 years ago where you told them what to do and they just did it, I think the important thing now is to be able to also adapt and adjust and be able to answer questions. And I think he does that. And it's the combination of him being who he is with also saying it's probably going to have to be tweaked. Yeah. That's absolutely crucial to his success. The other thing I love about this anecdote, I'm going to read one paragraph again. After about, so this, again, this is Mike Zimmer looking at film. This is just like a game being pulled from a previous season, and he's looking at the opposing offensive team, and that's where this anecdote picks up. After about 25 plays of him making offensive predictions with roughly 90% accuracy, I called BS. And then the anecdote before that was, it took him, he just wanted to watch like a handful of plays to get settled in, like Mm -hmm. two series. He wanted to watch two series to get settled in, then he'd start making predictions. Right. Well, think about some of the games that have transpired this year where the Rams go right down the field and score a touchdown early. Or last year, Carolina got out to like a 10-0 lead uh, first 10 minutes of the first quarter. Yep. First 10 to 15 plays, offense, they've got their thing going, they're scripting, here's their rhythm, and then what happens? Nothing the rest of the game. Mm -hmm. Mike Zimmer, after like, you know what, 10, 15 plays, I got you down. Mm Mm-hmm. And now it's really hard to score on the Vikings defense. But I think it's also imperative that he trusts his players as well. 
I think if if Harrison Smith or Rhodes comes to him and says they're doing this, he's like, oh, okay, thank you, and takes that. I'll never forget, in 2005, uh, when Culpepper got hurt and uh, Johnson became the QB, Brad would go in on Tuesdays, the off day, and sit down with Tice and, and the offensive staff to scheme and game plan. 2006 comes, and they start the year with Brad as the starting quarterback, and I remember hearing that he went into uh, Childress on a Tuesday and sat down to game plan, and they basically said, why are you here, Brad? And Brad's like, because I come in on Tuesdays to help. And they're like, no, thanks. Their, their whole thing was, we got this. We as coaches got this. Mm-hmm. We don't need players telling us what to do. I sense that Zimmer is smart enough to be the opposite of that. So if Harrison Smith or Rhodes or someone from the defense comes and says, hey, the team, they do this or that, he incorporates that. Because there are a lot of coaches that don't want players trying to put their uh, input on things. And that, to me, is such a huge, huge mistake. And the Rams thing that was so intriguing to watch was the fact that it was really clear that Smith was given so much ability to call out plays and adjust things. And therefore, the fact that Goff got the play from McVay, Smith could look at what the Rams went into and adjust things. That changes that entire dynamic. Let's keep the uh, the football conversation going. Mike Golick Jr. makes his weekly appearance. He's been a great guest throughout the entire season. When we come back here, Mackie and Judd. The Mackie and Judd Show rolls on. Yes, sir! On 1500 ESPN. What are you willing to do and what are you willing to give up to be the best you can be? You only have so much energy and the clock's ticking on all of us. If you're going to compete against me, you better be willing to give up your life because I'm giving up. When I see myself out there, I feel like, man, I still do this and I do it better than I've ever done it. So why should I stop? All right, I, yeah, I'm the in on that. of fire I'm in on behind that. him. I, I hope the whole thing is just Alex Guerrero and, and Tom Brady. It's uh, Michael Lick Jr. is joining us from ESPN Radio. You can find him early in the mornings here on 1500 ESPN. Are you in on the Tom Brady multi-part Facebook documentary? I feel like it's one of those things that's sort of like a car wreck. Like I understand the pieces that go into this are all pretty fundamentally ridiculous, but... I don't want to be a left out. I don't see how many good jokes we're going to get off Tom Brady and Alex Guerrero's expense. Yeah, and I think we, we had this discussion earlier. Like After we listened to that clip, uh, we actually quizzed Judd here to see if he could identify Kale in a lineup of food items, and he went 50-50 option, who wants to be a millionaire, and still whiffed on the 50-50. I, I failed miserably, Michael. Like, it's going to make us all feel terrible just to watch the, the daily routine of Tom Brady. Yeah, it's, it's figuring out really the things that he doesn't eat that make all of the rest of us these mere mortals and lesser beings than Tom. Like, I, I had this sort of instance pop up the other day with David Pollock, one of our college football analysts. He lost a bet with my dad, Trey Wingo, and so he came on their show and ate the first donut that he had had in 10 years. That's absurd. David Pollock hadn't had a donut in a decade. I hadn't had a donut in 10 minutes at that point. So <laughs> it tells you why David looks at looks the way he does and has had the success that he does and why I'm still trying to lose the last remnants of my lineman gut and find my way over to the college game day set with a you know credential I have to bum off someone. That's no, no fun though, Mike. I have no interest. I, if if right if it if it takes eating kale, which you know ba- basically is a tree leaf and not fun stuff. You know what? I'll look sort of fat. I don't care. 
life's too short, man. Life's yes. all about balance. And so we can laud Tom Brady and a lot of these guys for doing what the rest of us, I mean, Tom Brady said it, what the rest of us are unwilling to do. And there's a certain point where, yeah, I'm going to be a little happier in my day-to-day and maybe not be a five-time Super Bowl champ. I feel like I can be pretty darn good. And we've seen plenty of, ex- plenty of examples of people that have made darn good livings, had darn good careers in the NFL doing what guys like Chad Johnson did, which is eating McDonald's three times a day. Right, exactly. Awesome. Uh, percent chance Bill Belichick leaves the Patriots in, in some way after the season, and then percent chance he at some point becomes the Giants head coach. Uh, I'm going to go hard zero on both of them. Okay, okay. Right now, right now, I'm not really buying into them leaving. Now, I'm interested in how this plays for the team dynamic, but I just think there's too much good still that they think they can get done. In this now, does that working relationship change over the next year? Does Bill Belichick, now that if we believe the reports of what's gone on, had a little bit of his power checked by Robert Kraft and the decision to ultimately trade Jimmy Garoppolo, how does that play going forward into the draft? What does Bill Belichick feel compelled to do now that he knows his voice isn't necessarily going to be heard in the most important position on the field for this organization going forward? That's the stuff that interests me. I still don't think any of that nets them a loss of either Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, or if you want to throw crap, he's obviously not going to sell the team in there. This is still going to be the same group we all have to deal with. Hey, Mike, short term, if I'm the Pats, I'm thrilled. If I have to play this team now, this scares me. I My contention is is that franchises, franchises like this get galvanized by stories like this. I If I have to play them, I'm more scared now because I could see these guys all turning and saying, okay, you know what, now now we, we've got a re- reason to show them. This would actually scare me. Yeah, listen, and I think just in general, you want to talk about a locker room that's built to weather this kind of storm. It's the Patriots because it's a culture of really silence and fear. And when you say fear, it sounds like it's this you know autonomous force, but really it's just these guys understanding the system that outside of Tom Brady, who we've seen as the lone exception, everyone there knows they're replaceable. Everyone knows that no matter how big your star is, you are not above the way the Patriots do business, again, unless you're Tom Brady. And so what that does is that really creates that do-your-job culture where you're just doing that out of self-preservation more often than not, and then you recognize that letting this information out runs counter to that as well. So it, it really creates a space where that's not going to affect the way any of these guys go to work because they're also concerned about making sure that they get to stick around and be along for the ride by performing to the best of their ability. Mike Goler Jr. with us here, Mackie and Judd. So we uh, we just read an interesting excerpt from a Scott Fujita article breaking. This is from like four years ago on FoxSports.com. Uh, breaking down Mike Zimmer's film study and how he can he can sit there and look at almost any game and after a couple series start to identify based on formations what plays the offense is going to run. So kind of validates our thoughts on Mike Zimmer as a defensive genius. Who is the smartest or who are the smartest coaches you've ever been around or played for and what made them so? Uh, I think the smartest coaches, I think just that understands not only trends of the things they're seeing, but have solutions. And that's why as much grief as he got as a head coach, Charlie Weiss is one of the best offensive minds I've ever been around because as one of the guys that helped layer and stack that Patriot offense, he really had an understanding of solutions for every problem that a defense was going to give you. And you see so many of those principles still built in to that Patriot package, especially the receiving package, all the option routes, all the ways that they can get themselves out of trouble. So I would certainly say him on one and then, uh, you know, offensive mind wise, 
maybe not quite as well, but maybe technically seeing the position. My offensive line coach in college, Harry Heastand, wasn't going to be a guy who on the top top level of offensive game plan was going to blow you away, but the intricacies and the way he understood the position, the way he understood what was necessary to move defenders that were playing different techniques or out of different fronts or identifying situations where stunts and twists or blitz would be a little more prevalent always sort of blew me away. And that's just a lot of that is a level of preparation. Like these guys are, are so fanatical in the way that they approach the game and the way that they digest it, that it's matching that intensity. It's that Tom Brady esque desire to be great. Maybe just, you know, with a few more donuts and nightshades. (laughs) Exactly. Do you have faith in case, sir? I do. Listen, and I keep going back to the fact that he's given me no reason not to. Like, uh, people are trying to compare this uh, to, you know, uh, to the situation with Jared Goff, the top three quarterbacks, the the Jeff Fisher remnants that were at the top of the NFC this year uh, of Goff, Keenum, and now Nick Foles in Philadelphia. But I'd say that Keenum's unique in all of those. I mean, Jared Goff was still a guy in his second year. He's seen a lot less football in his time than Case Keenum has. Nick Foles got thrown into the fire with three games or two games left in the season. And it's after been sitting on the shelf all year long. And we know those twos don't get a lot of reps in practice, not nearly as many as their one counterparts during the season. Case Keenum has been the man for them this entire year. Case Keenum has relationships with all of those guys on offense he's got an understanding of where and when they're going to be where they're supposed to be and he's been doing it at a high level for them so why am i to believe that just because the calendar turns over to january that all of a sudden that's going to change no he's still got a great supporting cast around him and he's not asked to win the game on his own because he shouldn't have to this is a a balanced stable offense that he has learned how to operate really well within so yeah i I absolutely have confidence what what does your gut say about the vikings are like two and a half point favorites and uh uh, I mean, Drew Brees is going to the Hall of Fame, so there's there's a lot of components here. But what what does your gut say about who wins this game and why? Yeah, my my gut in this one would say New Orleans, just because I mean this has been such a different look for them this season as far as the balance they've had on offense. Now, we saw in that last game that rushing attack got taken away, and they had to rely a little more on Michael Thomas, and they had to rely a little more on Drew Brees. And you know what? It still worked. It still got done. And the the thing really I think this year, too, would be how much Marshawn Lattimore and that secondary have helped Cam Jordan and those guys on the defensive line really get after the quarterback. Cam, Tyler Davis, and the rest of that group really did a great job harassing Cam Newton. And I think if there's one area in Minnesota I think is kind of vulnerable, it's that offensive line, especially on the interior. So uh, I worry about that. My gut would say New Orleans now. We know the Vikings have that great defense and all those weapons, so they're going to be in that game. And the Vikings defense has played great, especially down the stretch. But uh, I'd probably lean New Orleans in a real close one. It's going to be an unbelievable game. I can't believe you just picked the Saints. People are very know, upset now, Mike Golick Jr. Guys, I know, and listen, I'm coming up to Minnesota for the Super Bowl. Like, I want this to be amicable, so we, we'll get that <laughs> out of the way, but we'll save for the sake of this show. Like, just, you know, file that away, scrub that out of the podcast, and I'll predict the Vikings win right now. <laughs> are you, uh, you going to be taking uh, the same private jet as Jamie Foxx and Shaq for uh, the Friday night party at, uh, at the machine shop, or what, what's your situation? So right now I'm trying to track that down. I think they sent that to my alumni email. Yeah. And I don't have the password for that right now, the invite for the Jets. So I- I'm sure they reached out. They're great guys. You know, I talk to them every once in a while. So hopefully we can make that happen in my next life. Yeah, they're very accommodating. I'm sure you could just reach out and uh, you'll be fine. You're in so. good shape. All right, good stuff, Golic Jr. We'll talk soon. See you. Awesome. Thanks, guys. See you. All right, Mike Golic Jr. Who just picked the Saints all year. Who just picked the Saints he to did, win on Sunday. You know what, no, though? No, it's fine. He's- I mean the it's that's I think he represents 
a lot of people around the country that look at the quarterback matchup, and I'm not offended by that pick at all. It's it's going to be a, it should be a really close, I'm, really interesting, good game. I'm very upset right now with them. And for the Vikings, if they win this game, if anyone's unsure about the Vikings, if any of us in this town are unsure about the Vikings, mm-hmm. there will be no doubt if they win the game. If they win a close game or win in a blowout, there will be no doubt. If they beat the Saints in this game, Mm -hmm. they will absolutely be considered Super Bowl contenders, if not maybe favorites by everybody around the country. They might get the Falcons. They just have to prove it. they got to prove it. Got to keep going through through the uh, redemption tour. The uh, the vindication. Don't voyage, forget John. about our T-shirts. The by vindic- the way, it's voyage for vindication. Oh, that's right, voyage okay. for, for vindication. You got to stay on brand. Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry about that. I'd like to apologize. And yes, buy we a T-shirt. Are, we are selling T-shirts, but only for another 24 hours. We don't want we don't want to jinx this thing on Sunday. All right, so we're just going to end the T-shirt we're, sales we're just tomorrow. Sort of jinx it just, early in the like week. Practice jinxes. You can buy, and, and all proceeds are donated to the American Cancer Society. We have the Voyage for Vindication T-shirts. At teespring, T E E spring dot com slash voyage. Dave, what kind of questions are you going to hurl at us next? I'm going to play a new game with you boys and questions. It's called Deal Breakers, Minnesota Vikings edition. Okay. Phil Mackey, Judd Zolgad. They don't fool around. That's why people trust them. I know. Mackey and Judd on 1500 ESPN. All right, Mackie and Judd, uh, slight programming change. Thanks to Mike Golick Jr., as always. That was a super fun conversation. Questions to wrap the show, uh, because we're going to talk some Wolves here. Mark Jones is on the call tonight, ESPN. It's Wolves and Thunder at Target Center. Uh, Russell Westbrook, one of the most exciting players in the NBA. Uh, Mark, thank you for joining us. And we, we kind of looked at the Wolves' schedule a week ago and said, ooh, business picks up. You got uh, Celtics and then Cavs. They just beat the Cavs. They had a 40-point lead on LeBron and company in that game, so we're feeling pretty good about the Timberwolves right now going into tonight. Yeah, with a good reason, man. I mean, uh, the way that you guys are playing, it's certainly going to break the 13-year playoff drought, and that win against Cleveland was very impressive. I think that it all comes down to that in you know a quick year and a half, uh, Tibbs has changed the culture in Minnesota with the aid of Jimmy Butler and Todd Gibson, Jamal Crawford, some veterans coming aboard. You know, no light to you know young talent but a lot of times when you've accumulated young talent when people say that you've got a great young talented team in the nba it's a euphemism for you're going to lose a lot of games <laughs> for a long yeah, time that's right. not the case here anymore man you guys are the number four seed right now and uh i think if things continue to trend in this direction you end up maybe even number three um jimmy butler has done a, a great job holding guys accountable this year uh he set a standard that other guys have been uh, you know, forced to live up to on and off the floor, and uh, it's reflected in the results, especially since early December. And Mark, he, he's a guy that, that until you, you see him on a game-by-game basis, you don't appreciate. I mean, you, you know he's a star, and you know he's good, but the amount of work he does and, and the defense he plays, <laughs> it, the appreciation for seeing him goes goes way up when you get to see him on a nightly basis, I think. Yeah, no doubt. And and you mentioned it, uh, you, you alluded to defense. Uh, people, you know, analytics, stats, when you look at stats on NBA.com or ESPN.com or any of those websites, you look at points, you look at rebounds, you look at steals, you look at uh, shooting percentages. There is no value placed on a guy staying in front of his man, locking down his man, stopping his man from penetrating. That's what Jimmy Butler does. He does so many great things. Uh, defensively, uh, it becomes infectious. Uh, he's a catalyst in the last 10 games. You've seen the improvement in the Timberwolves defensively in terms of their defensive rating. Uh, 
Uh, I, I, they're up to, I think, number 19 or 20 overall right now. I would guess that by the end of the season that they're going to probably be somewhere in the mid-teens or even in the top 12 teams in defensive rating, and uh, that bodes well for their playoff chances. Uh, Mark Jones is with us here from ESPN, Wolves and Thunder. He's going to be calling the game tonight, Wolves and Thunder, on national TV. Russell Westbrook. Uh, his scoring numbers were better last year because now he's he's deferring more. He's taking like three or four fewer shots per game with Carmelo and company. And uh, how would you contextualize though him averaging a triple double for the last two years combined? He's just under the rebound mark this year, but it's it's nine point six. He's leading the league in assists. How would you put into context just the individual performer that he's been the last couple of years? Yeah, it's really phenomenal when you look at the triple double that he's averaged and. Um, you know, Hubie Brown and I who are doing the game tonight with Doris Burke, we always talk about the fact that the most amazing of those three numbers isn't so much the points or the assists, it's the rebounds. Uh, the fact that a, a guard who's, you know, 6'3", 6'4", is getting double-digit rebounds each game. There's no way to cheat rebounds. Uh, you, you know, guys can say, oh, well, he doesn't always go out to close out on his man or he hangs around the basket or guys let him get rebounds. Rebounds are the litmus test. They're the acid test for desire and want to. And, and that really kind of is a uh, symbolic of Westbrook's game. He, his motor just never stops. And, uh, you know, you look back to his stats since the beginning of December, he's averaging right around a triple double per game, 27 points, 10 and 10 going down the line. And now that Oklahoma City, uh, you know, they've got Carmelo kind of growing into his role as Olympic Carmelo, the catch-and-shoot scorer, uh, Paul George uh, getting it done at both ends of the floor with his scoring. It's picked up. He's right around uh, 44% now, shooting 43% from three-point territory. Oklahoma City is going to be a problem, guys. And if they continue to get great uh, production out of Steven Adams and get just a little bit more out of their bench, mm -hmm. uh, they're going to be the team that I think a lot of people thought they would be when they made those big tra trades with Sam Presti, the GM, uh, this past summer. Are, are they th there yet in your mind, or, or does this remain, especially with the additions, a work in progress? You know what? I still think they haven't hit their ceiling yet. Um, I, I think they're still figuring out a little bit uh, what's happening on the offensive end. Uh, I think you see some rough spots still, even though they've done 14-7 and seven in their last 21, going back to right around the start of December. Um, you know, Paul George is, is really the guy that has gone to Billy Donovan and said, hey, coach, don't, don't worry about me, man. I'll get my stuff off of defense. You don't have to run a ton of stuff for me. Um, I, I think Carmelo is still growing into his role as a, the catch-and-shoot guy and is, is finding his spots and finding out where his zones are a little bit different from where they were traditionally because of the way, you know, when you play with Russell Westbrook, that, that's a different beast. Nobody can... You know, you can't practice playing with a guy like that. You, you, it's something that you learn by baptism and by fire. So, um, you know, they, they, they still got some more ceiling, I think, ahead of them. Uh, Mark, give us you, – you, I know you have, like, production meetings with coaches and you get, you get inside access and you're, you know, with, with Hubie or even with Doris. Give us a fun story. Do you, do you have any Tom Thibodeau stories or any fun stories from the road this season? Um, anecdotes that maybe we wouldn't catch just watching the, the TV broadcasts? Um, I think about, you know, things that appear very much different from what they really are. I think you have to look at Greg Popovich in San Antonio. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, 
you know, you go into Pop's office and he's charming. He is as charming as they get. Um, I'll ask him about what good wines are out there, you know, Merlots, <laughs> Cabernet Sauvignons. Very refined guy, not as uh, gruff or um, uh, as uh, truculent as some people might appear to be. Uh, you know, you go into his office and he's got CNN on there and he's watching the news and he's a very, very worldly guy. And then, you know, you turn on the TV and end of the third quarter and you go to interview him and it's like, oh, that was a dumb question, Mark. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so you've how, you've done that a number of times with him. I'm assuming over the years, I've seen you do it before. What's like? Is there just fear pulsating through your body that he's going to shoot you down on national TV, or what's that like? Nah, nah. You know what? You get thick skin after a while. It doesn't even the bullets <laughs> bounce off of me now. You know, and uh, and you know, it's just his silent protest against doing that interview. Sometimes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or not so silent. You know. Dude. But uh, there's there's some great coaches around the league. Um, here's another one that comes to mind, and I'll leave you with this one. Uh, went into uh, Steve Kerr's office last year and saw a quote on the wall. And on the wall it said, quote, we are a really good team when we don't do uh, uh, effing stupid F-H-I, you know what, Right. end quote. And underneath it said, Luke Walton. <laughs> and I said, Steve, uh, that's not Plato, that's not Socrates, it's Luke Walton. And this, what's with the profanity goes, ah, you know, it came from uh, after a big win last a uh, couple of years ago. And uh, we were having a kind of a think tank after the game. And Luke walked in and said, you know, we're a pretty blanking blank good team when we don't do stupid blank yes <laughs> and profound Steve saw it fit to put it up on his wall and keep it there as a as a keepsake you know as yeah. a reminder right keep that's, it simple yeah that's awesome it's a good motto yeah. for all of us really yeah <laughs> it's very very true thanks mark thank you sir hey guys great to be in minneapolis man my people up here man my wife's from alexandria i always love coming up awesome. Minnesota. the great people of minnesota man yeah i've been to the headwaters of the mississippi river in Lake Atasca, like 88 hours from here, man. Yes, good. For a family reunion. My wife didn't tell me it was that far, but I'm glad to be here. <laughs> you can speak the language. Speak the language tonight on TV. We'll uh, we'll be watching Wolves and Thunder with uh, with Mark on the call on ESPN. Thank you, Mark. Thank you. Take care. Give me some give me some hot dish for lunch. See Absolutely, yes. Bye. yes. I mean, the tater tot hot dish is uh, runs in my family. I got to say, big time tater tot hot dish guy. Um, that's funny. The uh, Greg Popovich stuff. He's just drinking wine, just hanging out, watching CNN. Oh, he and sounds like a he reporters. sounds like a phenomenal guy. Mm-hmm. Popovich sounds like a great guy. You know what? Too, I don't blame him. Forcing a coach to be basically leave the huddle and have to go talk. It is for, ridiculous for two questions. I I bet you if you pulled the people who have to actually have those conversations with coaches, they would say I hate him too. But the whole thing is. They're paying billions of dollars, right? So we got to bleed every bit, bit of access possible. But yeah, it's uh, I don't blame him for not enjoying those. Yeah. All right. Now questions when we come back All right. to uh, to wrap the show. We've got some big news. Mackie and Judd now continue. Can you smell it? On 1500 ESPN. Now on Mackie and John. Do you believe in past lives? Did we ever really land on the moon? Questions. What are the six degrees that separate you and Kevin Bacon? Of significant importance. <laughs> <laughs> should we do it? Should we get the questions? Let's yeah, do we it. Should. All right. 
Sponsored by It's Just Lunch today. Let's do this one. Let's start out with our new game. I can't remember what we called it. Vikings edition of Deal Breakers. That's it. Wow. Deal Breakers. Vikings Saints edition, boys. I'm going to paint a quick scenario for you. I've got a few of these scenarios, just a little something, and you are going to tell me if that is a deal breaker, meaning the Vikings won't be able to overcome whatever this is and still win the game. Are you okay. ready? Let's do it. First, they are not getting any sacks on Drew Brees. They do not get to Brees one time. Is that a deal breaker? Can the Vikings win, or is that a deal breaker? Oh, they can win because it comes down to pressure, not sacks. If you can, if you get pressure and force him to throw and don't get sacks, it is not a deal breaker to me. I would say not a deal breaker because I think the success of this defense doesn't hinge on sacks. Um, it's more about I mean, there's so many other layers to it. It's tackling and coverages and uh, stopping the run better than almost any other team. So they and they weren't even I think they were mid pack in the NFL in actual sacks this year. Probably higher up in pressures, like Judd said. But, yeah, I would say not a deal-breaker if they don't get a sack. And guys like Drew Brees, he's not super mobile like a Cam Newton, but he gets the ball out quick if needed. He's not going to sit there and take a bunch of sacks like a Mitch Trubisky or somebody. The Vikings throw two interceptions. Case Keenum throws two Mm. picks. Deal-breaker or not? I think that's a deal-breaker. I do. Because Drew Brees, uh, I would be shocked if Drew Brees threw anything more than one tipped interception uh, maybe the, I don't think if fumbles you can't really predict. If Case Keenum throws two interceptions, it's going to be really hard to get those possessions back unless your defense is crazy lights out against that team. I'm with Phil. If he if he throws two, he's likely to melt down and start throwing more. So yes, I think uh, I think two picks is definitely a deal breaker. Let's do a few more of these. An injury to either Harrison Smith or Xavier Rhodes that forces them from the game. Deal breaker or not? Deal breaker to me, especially if it's Harrison Smith. If it's Harrison Smith, you don't have a safety behind him who's even a semblance of being close. So yes, if you start if you uh, start to deplete that secondary against Drew Brees, deal breaker. I would say not a deal breaker for this game. I think you'd be able to, depending on when the injury happens. I think you could patchwork it, and Harrison Smith would be the bigger loss because you could at least then bring in. I think you have more depth at cornerback than safety. But if we're talking. An injury that knocks that player out for the playoffs, it's a deal-breaker to win the Super Bowl. I think you need that full defense intact, that full secondary, and especially Harrison Smith. If you want to beat Breeze and Matt Ryan and a Tom Brady or a Ben Roethlisberger. How about this one? Either Ingram or Kamara, either one, runs for 100 yards. Um, I don't think, I, don't, I mean, I'm going to say not a deal-breaker, but... You know, you better be pretty good against the pass. And I want to know how many carries. I think it's more about yards per carry. If they want to hand the ball off 30 times and get 100 yards at three yards a carry, all right, I would sign up for that. I'm I'm actually more concerned about uh, Kamara having success on the ground and catching the ball. But I think if we're just talking about rushing, it would be a problem, but not a deal breaker. All right, one more. Yep. The Vikings receive a punt with two and a half minutes remaining in the game at their own 20-yard line and are down four points. Deal breaker or not? So 80 yards for a touchdown. Yes. And, and they're down by how much? They're down by four. You need to get it in the end zone. Oh, you know what? I'm going to say not a deal breaker. Wow. I love your faith. I, you know what? I, I am I'm going to say that in a situation like that, as difficult as it might be, if they've been playing a good game up to that point and it's just a great football game, 
That is not a deal breaker that there is a chance they could go down and score, so I'm not going to write them off. I don't think that's a deal breaker either. I could see an Adam Thielen like 25 yard after the catch situation. There's a lot of different ways you could you could still win in that spot. Can I tweak that and ask Judd specifically? Instead of down by four, I know, I know let's doing. say you're two. down by two. Yeah. Oh. And let's just fast forward. You're lined up, line of scrimmage know, around the 31-yard line of the opponent, and there's only time for one more play. I, I leave the stadium. Are you saying in my scenario you'd rather be down four than two? You'd rather have to Give, get the touchdown? Yes. Given the history of this franchise, I would much rather throw caution to the wind and try and score a touchdown than get into a field position and have poor Kai Forbath come up. Can you imagine the reaction in that stadium? If it's fourth and goal from the eight and you're down two, and it's two seconds left in the game, are you throwing for the end zone? You're going. You're. I told you you're I'm going home. <laughs> I'm going home. Kyle Rudolph, just put your put your yellow gloves in the air, man. I, I'm getting up from my press box seat and I'm going home at that point because I can't I can't fathom what the, those poor people in US Bank Stadium are going through with that. The professional hockey team was renamed at the top of the show by Judd Zolgad. Judd, please uh, re- review that name for us. The Minnesota Furious Rally. <laughs> Another non-descriptive name that you can't define, but who cares? The Minnesota Furious Rally, because that's what they do. And they will debut the new logo, new mascot, new jerseys, everything on Hockey Day Minnesota. It'll be fantastic. The Minnesota Furious Rally. Well, let's debut some new nicknames, boys. Wolves, Vikings, Twins, Gophers, Athletics. Give me some new names we could rename our squads. Want me to start? Sure, go ahead. All right. Um... The Vikings one, I, th- I think I would just uh, I would strip away the American part of American football, and I would just morph more into football. I would just call them Purple FC going forward. Just Purple FC. Oh, and then the little badges thing fits in even more. Yep, yeah, I give all the fans scarves. Cool. So that one that'd be kind of fun. Uh, for Gopher, the entire Gopher athletic department can just be. It can still be the Gophers, but it would they would we would replace the Goldie logo with uh, cr- the crying Jordan face. <laughs> So they would just be the basically they'd be the Minnesota crying Jordans. Okay. Where they're just always sad about the result. Okay. Um, then we get to the Timberwolves, which I would very simply I would just tweak the name a little bit to be the Tibbsburg Wolves, and I would replace the howling wolf in the logo with a howling Tom Thibodeau. Mm-hmm. So the Minnesota Tibbsburg Wolves and uh, and Tom Thibodeau screaming just, at officials. Just Tibbs face. <laughs> like that. kind of looking up sideways. <laughs> oh oh, <laughs> kind of a thing. And the Twins is a really easy one. They would just be the Minnesota Yankees going forward because that's who really owns them. The Minnesota Yankees wow. going back to the early 2000s. That is awful. Hey, speaking of the skull chant, can we stop doing that at Wild and Wolves games now? Oh, I'm. Have amen. you noticed it's sporadically yes. just popping all, up? Yes, it's all over. Why the place. Do you, Why do you guys want to kill the fun? No, let's just let's sing the theme song instead. Okay. The team song. That's harder to organize than the skull chant. Let's go skull. I know, but I'm with Dave. The skull chant just drives me crazy. I'd rather see the wave. Skull Vikings. It's it's very out of place. I don't like it. Go ahead, Jeff. The Vikings are the the no damn curses. Because if you're to believe what Zim says, you believe that this team is not cursed. The Gophers are the Gophers. The Gophers are the duck. And by that, it's a picture of Coyle just ducking as something <laughs> flies at him. So it's not the ducks. It's not It's not Oregon. It's the Minnesota duck. The evasives. Because something's always going to happen to you. How about the Minnesota process? <laughs> well, that's fine, too. But I'm thinking about Mark Coyle just ducking as, as like paint flies towards Minnesota him. Minnesota bleep storms. 
The Timber- they should just rename it the, the Minnesota EOAA, actually. <laughs> oh. That's what it should be. The Timberwolves are the Bellows for Tibbs. <laughs> okay. The Minnesota Bellows. And the Twins, in paying homage to a guy who's got a lot to do with the team but doesn't get a lot of credit, it changes its name to the Picklers. Wow. The Minnesota Picklers. Minnesota Jeff Picklers. So outfield alignment is what you're Oh, gonna... yeah. just It's it's only that, too. It's <laughs> o- only that for the guy that stands on the top step the entire game frantically doing things. Minnesota Picklers. All right. You know, the last one, uh, it's your chance to be Tom Brady, to be at the very top of your chosen pr- profession, boys. But you got to give things up, just like Brady. You've got to change your life when other people aren't willing to do that. So give me two things, two foods, two activities, two whatever that you really, really enjoy that you would be willing to give up and two that you absolutely would not. Wow. Um, is this specific to radio, like to be better at radio? Whatever it is. Because... um. I think I would, I'd really like to get the 12 hours of uninterrupted sleep that Tom Brady gets. So I guess I would, I would give up my current sleeping habits. I would just like, I'd go to bed at nine o'clock at night and then wake up at like seven o'clock feeling great. If that was possible, if you had like a hyperbaric chamber or something, if you could afford, you know, the means, if I didn't have a cat who woke me up at four o'clock, people make choices. I'd have to give up Tigger, basically, to sleep well. Sorry, Tigger. Tigger's very hurt right now. Um, good thing in, in this industry, you don't have to eat kale. It doesn't really matter. You're, no, you're better off fat as you eating want. wings and beer anyways. You're it better off matter. being in a sports bar so that you can keep up to date on the, the local happenings. Absolutely. What, would you, what else would you give up? Besides, you know, not sacrificing for the show to come in and do morning updates, which you've I already refused to that. do for I two months. I didn't straight. give that up. Uh, what would I? What would I be willing to give up? Let's see, because I definitely wouldn't give beer up, which I'm sure Tom did long ago if he ever drank beer. Um, I give up kale. You would give I, up I've kale. That's give awfully up, noble. I've decided to give up kale. That is noble. Since I couldn't identify kale, I would give up kale. Way to take one for the team. How does that sound? Yeah, I couldn't even identify it. So. I love how you, you even I did could. the 50 50 who wants to be a millionaire long. option and still whiffed on the 50 50. I know, and I'm sort of proud of Enjoy myself. Enjoy your parsley. I'm proud of myself, to be honest with you. Uh, if you missed Ryan Longwell yesterday or Sage Rosenfels today, reflecting back behind the curtain on the 2009 NFC Championship game, go check out the podcast, Mackie and Judd Show page or iTunes, and uh, we'll see you guys tomorrow. This holiday season, Peloton's got a gift for you. Get up to $200 off accessories with the purchase of a Peloton bike, Bike Plus, or Tread. And take your workout to the next level with accessories like non-slip grip dumbbells, a heart rate monitor, cycling shoes, and more. Peloton, motivation that moves you. This limited time offer ends December 25th. Visit OnePeloton.com to learn more. All access membership separate. Offer ends December 25th. Cannot be combined with other offers. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com. Did you know Nissan EVs have traveled 8 billion miles? Just a quick trip to Pluto and back. And what did we learn along the way? Well, that an EV can take on the world, like the Nissan LEAF. It can move racing forward and take your breath away, like the all-new Nissan Aria. We learned to make EVs that electrify. 8 billion miles driven by LEAF owners globally since 2010. Aria not yet available for purchase. Expected availability late fall. Subject to change.